Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Lord, we thank you. God, you're doing good things in our lives. You always are. Lord, sometimes we don't perceive it. And Lord, even if it comes sometimes in that package of, of, uh, Lord, of a no, but Lord, in the end, it always means you love us, you're for us. God, you open doors, you close them. But Lord, we ask you this morning, God, to open our hearts, God, so that we might, Lord, receive the word of God, that seed planted deep into our heart, that it would, Lord, begin to grow roots and, and, and germinate, Lord, and produce fruit. Lord, open our hear, ears to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to us in these days. Lord, we know that there are going to be a multitude of words spoken to each of our hearts today, and that's good stuff. Thank you for Holy, the Holy Spirit to, to help us in this journey, in this life. God, we thank you now. Amen. All right, we're continuing <clears throat> in the book of Judges, and um, I want to make a quick correction so that you don't get confused. I put Judges chapter 4, but actually we're not in Judges 4 yet. I'm saving that. Uh, we're going to finish out with the, the second part of Judges chapter 3. So you can mark that in your Bible this morning. So the title of our message is, And He Gave Them a Deliverer. And so we're talking about the Israelites as they have come into the new land and they've done a lot of work. One of the things that we're learning is that the Israelites, of course, are like children. And last week we learned that God left some of their enemies there in order to test them, to refine, refine them, and to build up inside them the necessary toughness. And I uh, heard a lot of people give uh, testimony from that word last week, a lot of people that were really talking about that, and, uh, and how, and in fact, one young lady said, you know, I was just thinking about God, why do you let difficulties happen in my life? And then just, it really made sense to her that sometimes God doesn't remove them so that he can build that perseverance. By the way, at the end of the end uh, of this service, uh, we're going to pray for Angie and Savina, Savina Daniel. Um, this is their last Sunday, and uh, they're, you're going to Arkansas, isn't that correct? And, uh, and so we want to pray for them. So after the service is over, if you can make your way up here, uh, we'll have the altar call uh, here. <clears throat> but if you can just remain just a few more minutes, we're going to pray for Angie and Savina um, briefly so that we can just launch them encourage them and maintain connection as she moves on, on to her next stage and season of, of God's life. So last week we learned that God is more interested in who we are than what we do. Doing is important for sure. In James chapter 2, verse 26, it talks about that. But doing no longer counts unless it comes from the heart of faith in God. We find that important shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We find that there in Romans chapter 3, 28, that it's by faith and not by works that we're saved. This is a curious part of Scripture, but the bottom line is that God is interested <clears throat> in a relationship that is based on our need for his fellowship and not just what he can do for us. And that's, that's a maturity path, which is why I believe what we're learning here in the book of Judges is that God is trying to close up the gap. God is 
trying to mature us deep in our relationship with him. Because it's so easy as Christians to fall into that trap of thinking that God is just that vending machine God. Or that the only reason why we serve him and the reason why we come is so that we have a better life. And that's, that's really something that, you know, to go to that next level, that might be the thing that first motivated us to come to Christ. But what we find out is God is, is after so much, he wants a relationship with us. He wants to be restored. And we all know that that puts a real pressure on a relationship when we think that that's what that relationship was all about, is just what I can get from you. Nobody likes to be in that kind of relationship. But to be a relationship with God, it would make sense that he wants us to be connected to him in fellowship. And not just what, he can, again, he can do for us. He wants intimacy. He wants closeness. He wants friendship. He wants his family. In Judges 3, we see the cycle begin as it is recorded in Israel's history. God is allowing his people to be tested. We learned that last week. And so, really, as I'm going to try to go through this very quickly because this is a, a major study that I'm going to try to do in about 30 minutes. But what we do is we, we see the book of Judges being divided up into sections. And our first section here is the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. And what is interesting is how they're listed together and how they cover a period of, of, of Israel's history. You're going to see a very cool prophetic message when you put it all together. But let's back up before we get to that part. What do the Israelites do after they have learned? It says right here, and we're going to read it together. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. And of course, you know, in our hearts, we, we break for them. Our hearts break for them. Excuse me. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of, of Cushan, Ristathim, king of Aram, Nahariam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. So in other words, as they worshiped the demon gods, their protection, their favor was lifted now, this is really important for you to catch because this is the process of what really takes place. That as they pulled away from God to worship other gods, the favor of God over their life was lifted. And it says here that the anger of the Lord burned against them and it was subject to these, these rulers. So a spiritual thing took place which resulted in a natural uncovering and natural enemies. So it wasn't just demons that attacked them, but it was in the form of actual living kings, people, that began to assault them, to close in on them, to begin to steal. That gets more clarified later in the book. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. Let's move on to that next. The Lord gave Kushan Rishastaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered them. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. So we see the beginning of a cycle that as they 
you know, it was there, they were tempted to pull away from God, and that's exactly what they did. And not just to pull away from God, but again, to be tempted to worship the Baals and, and, and Asherah. Of course, these were uh, pagan religions that existed in the land before Israel got there. If you go back in the series, you can catch it on the internet. It'll tell you a little bit more about what, what takes place there. But, of course, Baal has been associated with Satan uh, generationally. If you want a name that is co- more correlated to Satan himself, it would be Baal or Beelzebub. Maybe you've heard of that. And so, again, they cry out to God. The pressure, the struggle that comes as a result, they didn't always put two and two together. And, and, you know, after years and years of counseling, that's what I see. A lot of times is we will experience struggle in our life, and we don't always put it together as to why that struggle comes. At that point, we're really not interested in knowing exactly why, as much as crying out to God to say, please make it stop. Right? And we're just like, look, I don't know why. I just know that I want it to stop. And so that's what the Israelites did. They cry out to God, and they say, Lord, please Please, our lands are being overrun. This is not what we signed up for. This, we know this is not what you promised us. Something's wrong, so God, please come and rescue. And what God does is really interesting. God doesn't just come down with that pillar of fire. God doesn't just come down with the, the, the cloud. He doesn't just destroy those people openly and, you know, with angels show up and do. No, no, he, he provides a leader. He provides a leader. And so, what I write here is that their enemies are released to begin to steal and torment them. Uh, But they can't take the land, in other words, their identity, but they can steal their ability to enjoy it. And that's something we should really catch. They never took away the fact that they were believers. They never took away the fact of who they were in their history. Satan can never steal that from you, by the way. That's what I love about this, is, is, is this kind of this picture of even though the Israelites experience struggle and the consequences of their sin, they're still God's kids. Aren't you glad for that? Even though we experience struggle in our life as a result of maybe the consequences of some poor choices that we make and sins of omission, sins of commission, things we've done, things we failed to do, God is still always listening for that cry for us to say, God, I did it again. Please come and get me out of this. And God, as we learned earlier, is a good daddy, and he will come. In the book of Judges, it's most, made most clearly, um, very clear, that God will continue to come, even though he's frustrated, even though he points it out. So the enemy can't steal their identity, can't steal who they are, but it can certainly come in and cause those, uh, or what I say here is to steal the ability to enjoy it. Again, so they finally had enough, and they cry out to God, and God sends a leader. So we've cried for God, but God sends a solution, and that's something we should find very interesting as well, is we might be in a difficulty, we might be struggling through something, we're paddling just to keep our heads above water, and we say, God, God, help me. What we want is the very hand of God to reach down and pull us right up when it might be somebody who swims up beside us and say, hey, how you doing? Hey, grab my arm. I'll pull you out of this. They're like, no, man, I'm waiting for God. 
And it reminds me of that joke, right, where the man's sitting on top of the flood, and, and you've heard it, right? I won't tell it. But, but that's exactly what God, God often does, is we cry out to him, and God will provide a solution, but we don't always catch that solution, do we? Now, the Israelites do, of course, in the form of this man named Othniel. Now, Othniel means God's strength. Isn't that cool? That during that time that we do cry out to God and we go through a difficult experience, God is going to provide his strength. But again, remember, it doesn't always come in the form that we always expect it. And man, do we always, I mean, God does that time and time again. That there are promises, but they don't always come in the way that we expect them to. And so that requires, you know, a lot of, of, of focus, That requires a real sensitivity and a developing of our discernment in order to respond to it. When we want God to just fill up our credit card, God says, why don't you cut that in half and start praying for me to supply what you need rather than what you want. And see, once we clarify, when we get get our head clear of what we really are expecting from God, then you'll start noticing it a lot more. Because, I mean, you can imagine some of those Israelites look at Othniel and think, what? I mean, why would God send him? I mean, I was expecting a warrior. I was expecting a king. I was expecting something else. But God produced him, and, of course, he did that. And then we go to Ehud, okay? And Ehud means united. And he's a left-handed man. Now, if we can move forward to that, yeah, we got it ready to go. Now, Ehud, um, he gave them a deliverer. So they, they go into sin again, they repent, they cry out to God, and God says, Ehud, again, he sends a man, a left-handed man, the son of Jerah the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, I'm not going to read, read through the whole story, but he walks in there, and he straps a sword to his leg, to his right leg. And so when he goes in, uh, you know, he's going to give tribute. And, of course, we find out that the king is this hugely overweight man. And as the story goes, it's quite interesting that they search him, but they fail to search the right spot. Because what they assume is he's a right-handed man. And so they check his left side, as any right-handed man would have his sword on the right-hand side. So that's where he would draw from. They made an assumption, and all we know what that means when you assume, right? And so he's able to get into the presence of the king, and I love the story because he says, look, I've got a message for you. And of course, the king is like, oh man, this is good. Send everybody out of the room. And that's when he says, he takes his left hand and reaches and grabs a sword out of his right thigh and says, here's a message from God, dude. Funk and pierces him through his stomach with this sword. Now, the guys, we love that story. You ladies are like, man, move on. We're like, tell it again. But it goes into his stomach. It's kind of a gross thing that takes place there, and you can read it. And then literally all heaven breaks loose because Ehud has come to deliver the people of God. He goes into the countryside and says, God has delivered you. Follow me. So God, again, raises up another deliverer. And again, his name means united. But I wanted to point out about this whole left-handed thing. Because God made it a point to, you know, to mention that in Scripture. 
and the left hand of God stands for judgment. There also existed a stigma, especially in the ancient world, surrounding a left-handed person. Most were considered unlucky or strange at best. And interesting that it's pointed out that God could even use a left-handed man. I love that. That God could use him even though he's kind of weakened in the mind of, of, of people. So the practical reason to choose that lefty, again, is strategic because of what I just shared with you, that they failed to check him when he got in there. The enemy consistently overlooks people that are not as influential as a threat in this world. And that is a bad mistake on his part. In the kingdom of God, every believer has a hidden sword. And I love that about this story, is that Ehud, his name means united, and we're supposed to catch that in this story, that God would choose a man that no one else would choose, no one would recognize, and in many ways, strategically, is able to bypass the enemy because he doesn't always get it. In our mind, we're always looking for the, the shiniest, the greatest, the most influential of people. But God says, I will choose even the ones that are cast off. And that's the encouragement we can really get from the story of Ehud, is that God can use us. And that in many ways, you know, the world, the enemy himself looks as Christian, at, as, at Christians like we're left-handed people, that we're not influential, that we don't have the bearing and the strength and the political power. And I love that. Because the truth is, every single one of us as believers, we've been given that sword of the Spirit, have we not? And that we've got it strapped on, and we can go right into the enemy's lair and say, I've got a message from God for you. And be able to stab him through and say, you're not going to touch my family. You're not going to touch my city. You're not going to touch my country. In the name of Jesus, this is the message. And that sword represents truth. And I could say a whole lot more to that, but the truth is, folks, we need to use our sword more. And what is the sword? It's the word of God. And it's in our mouth is what the scripture says. And as we speak it, we absolutely attack the enemy. The enemy can never take that sword from us unless, of course, they kill us. But it comes down to this very fact that, and, and this is really kind of a sub-point of what I'm moving to, but, but, but what we should catch in this story is that God wants to release us as God's people to be able to do great damage to the kingdom of darkness in these days. And the only way we lose is, not, is by failing to draw our sword. It's, it's failing to speak the word of God. And I love the fact that his name means united because what I think we get there is that God communicates to us that, look, united we stand, right? Divided we what? We'll fall. And, as, and so we see in this first section of the book of Judges a message that comes through that has a very prophetic impact. I'll get to that in a second. But see how God is building it. Then we have our third deliverer, Shamgar. And it's so funny because if we go to that, if you guys can bring that up to me, for me, um, just kind of meet, move right down to the end of chapter 3, I believe. Okay. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600, I think it's 600. He's hitting it. 
He's pressing the little arrow that moves it forward. It's going to outer space, and then it brings it up for us. There we go. 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And he he too saved Israel. I love that. Because here is Shamgar. He's no Othniel. He's no Ehud. And of course, Ehud, you know, uh, the impact that he had. But he gets into the story. And that's what I love about that. And what a Shamgar means is sword. And he's able to be a sword in his life. And so we get this whole uh, sense that Shamgar seems to be insignificant, just a blip on the history books. But he did some major damage, and it is mentioned. Again, another indication of God saying, look, it doesn't matter what the enemy thinks. It doesn't matter what the world sees. It doesn't matter who you are and what you've done. You've got a sword. You are Shamgar. <laughs> and so when you put it all together, it's, it's very, very cool. We get the first 120 years just from these three judges, just three. And we'll see many, many more. The Israelites learned that united under God's leader, they will experience God's strength and his sword of protection. That's the message that we can take away from that. God wants us to recognize this pattern that we are going to get ourselves into trouble. James chapter 3 starts off with says, you know, many of us have made great boasts. Many of us, you know, are weakened. And, and, and none of us should rise up in judgment, which is essentially the, the first message of the book of James there, that we shouldn't rise up and judge one another based on what we see as weakness and struggle. He, he, he says, look, all of us sin in many ways. He says, but the one with the greater sin is the one who stands back and judges the other one and says, you know what, your sin is greater than mine. Or what you did, or what you failed to do, which is even worse, by the way, is greater than my sin. And Jesus pointed that out, didn't he? He said, why are you trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you yourself have a plank? And what that does is that causes disunity in the body of Christ. And then, where there's disunity, it says, you know, the enemy can really come in like a flood. I can open the door. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there are people that are still worshiping Baal, and there are people out there who, who worship Asherah, I mean, literally. But if we look at it figuratively, if we look at what those things represented, yes, there's a lot of, of idolatry out there, and yes, there's a lot of sexual sin that's out there. But really, those are not the things that I think that dis, uh, uh, derail the church. I really don't think that's, those are the things. As a matter of fact, when we all embrace our weakness, when we all embrace the fact that we are broken, those should become rallying points. Yeah, man, I, yeah, I, used to be, I used to be an idolater, man. I used to worship those things. I used to let those things in my life control my life. Because whatever you magnify is what will trump your life, by the way. Whatever you magnify. And do you feel that when you're worshiping and as Andrea's leading us? You feel kind of the plowing of the Spirit of God just going through and it's, and if you let it, because you can totally ignore it, but if you're here and, and Jesus is being magnified, it's, it's like you either withdraw and hope it ends soon or you yield 
and you magnify it. You allow Christ to be magnified in your life, and you start to feel those things start to happen in you. But whatever you magnify in your life is what will trump your life. And so if you magnify, you know, your identity, if you magnify your job, if you magnify having money, if you magnify a relationship, if you magnify anything other than Jesus Christ, the Savior of our life. Matter of fact, take that to the bank when it comes to Bible study, by the way. Whatever you magnify as you approach the Bible is what will trump its interpretation. The Bible is about Jesus. And if we get away from Jesus then you miss the point. You totally miss the point. But when you approach Scripture with Jesus in mind from the very first chapter, then when, when Adam and Eve fell, he said, look, I'm going to send one who will crush his head, but he'll strike his heel. That's a gospel in the very first chapter, or you know, first three chapters. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is what it's all about. And so what we get here is that God is trying to communicate something to us throughout, through the, uh, through the stories of these, these judges, that what we catch is that God wants to create some unity in us. And I want to get back to that point, that the unity needs to be around Jesus and our brokenness, that we gather to that and not to, say, to, to not measure my sin to anyone else's, that your sin is worse than my sin. The church really just falls apart when we start fo- uh, focusing on, on that rather than magnifying Jesus Christ. So it's getting our eyes off of one another and keeping them on him. And that's when we, we really draw together in unity. We can really gather around what we're really called to be and to do. And then, of course, uh, you know, Othniel, God's strength. You know, we can get, we, we're not going to get God's strength without unity. And that's, that's the point. You're just not going to get God's strength. You're not going to have the kind of stuff that's going to really go before you and, and, and just break open those strongholds, those, res, those things that resist our life. Because I know we've all faced them. Matter of fact, I'd be willing to bet that everyone in this room has something that you say, you know what, I still haven't seen God break that open in my life yet. Still waiting. I've seen him do it in other areas, but there's that one. I'm just waiting for God. I'm just praying over. I'd love to just see that thing. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a little thing that you keep doing in your life over and over again, and you're just like, man, I would be good to go if I would just stop doing that. Could be your marriage. It could be so many things. I'd be willing to bet there's, 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 every one of us have got something like that. And God says, look, the more you magnify me, the more I can magnify and really see that thing broken. But I think a lot of times God leaves those things of just what we le- learned last week. Well, that makes me happy just hearing that. Doesn't it? Doesn't make you happy? So going back to our story here, what solutions has God sent to you already? Has God raised up an Othniel? Has God raised up an Eod? Has God raised up a Shamgar in your life? Do you listen to the counsel? Do you listen to what God has provided? And that's so very, very important. 
Or are you still waiting for God's personalized delivery? God sends solutions, but he also has sent the solution, and his name is Jesus. He's God's strength. He's God's sword. When we become united with him, we experience his deliverance. That's our message. That's our message from these deliverers. That when we focus and magnify Jesus, he will trump our life. He will come and defeat our enemies. Because I love the story of the judges, that all they had to do was just say, yeah, you had, we're following you. We're, 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 we see the hand of God in your life, and so we're falling into its wake. And as a result, brings peace for 40 years. A full generation. A full generation. When we cry out to God, he sends Jesus. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. It's very interesting. But in that one verse, we see the whole book of Judges taking place. If we confess our sins, what does that mean? That means that I have to acknowledge them first, doesn't it? I mean, you can't confess something you don't believe. I mean, I don't want to be up here forcing you to confess something you haven't done. Or to just, you know, just say, look, which often is, is, you know, sometimes Christians do, but Lord, I just confess every sin I've ever done. I just want to do the blanket-covered prayer right now. I just confess it. You know, that's not, that's not the best idea because God wants us to say, Lord, search me, try me. What have I done to offend you? And the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm glad you asked because I wanted to talk to you about this. Ooh, I was kind of hoping we wouldn't talk about that. No, we need to talk about that. And you know we need to talk about that. Yes, Lord. So to get to that point there in First John 8 and 9, where it talks about, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. To forgive. He says, look, I am going to be your deliverer, but you've got to cry out first. I want to come and bring unity, not only in the body of Christ, but I want to bring unity between us. I want to bring us back into right standing. I want to repair that little bit of brokenness that, that, that is growing between us, the separation that's growing between us because of that thing in your life that you're not paying attention to. And it says he's faithful and just to forgive, to deliver. And see, it comes right back to Jesus, doesn't it? Because isn't he the one who delivered us there on the cross? He only had to do it once, forever. But, and, and again, it's just like, I confess, he's faithful and just. Who's faithful and just? Jesus. The Father. To forgive our sins. Because then that work of what Jesus did on the cross becomes available. It's poured out onto us. See, folks, I really believe that Christians, we get away from the essential truths. We get away from the very things that can help us. And see, that's what happened to the Israelites. I mean, you look at that and say, I mean, they just didn't decide, oh man, but, you know, Baal, wow. I mean, there's a demon God. Let's choose the demon God. No. It was everything that it represented. All the temptation. All of the, the promises of wealth. The promises of a better life. 
the promises of greater joy that if I sacrifice to that demon God, I will get more crops. I'll get more stuff. My life will be enhanced. So, and that, see, that's the way it came. Was it, it was a replacement theology. And that's the way it comes to us today. Is that we're tempted by the things we see, the, the get-rich-quick schemes, the how to fill my, joy, my life with joy if I just yield to the, the, to the passions. You know, if I just, just give in to what my body really wants, if I just give in to what my soul really wants, that'll make me happy. And boy, do you hear that all the time in this age. You say, well, it makes me happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? I mean, sex outside of marriage makes me feel good. Doesn't God want me to? Isn't that love? Isn't God all about love? And when you, so you can see those Baal worshipers over there saying, come on over here, man, we're having a great time. And so that's what it represents. So if we go right back there, 1 John 8 and 9, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. We cry out to God just like they did. God sends a deliverer. His name is Jesus. And he brings unity in our soul between him. He fixes that. We feel that sense of of, of a broken relationship. And if left for a long period of time, it brings a deadness to our soul, a leanness to our soul. And we don't know why it's there. It's just the idea of Jesus and having a personal relationship with him becomes something that is more and more distant. And, and then, you know, I mean, we, we try to measure it by church, but I, I, don't, you know, I just don't like even to do that. Because a lot of times people can continue to go to church and still ignore what's going on inside them and think that just going through the, the, the motion of just church is going to fix that when it's not. What God wants is that intimacy again. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's just wonderful. It's just beautiful. It brings us back into right standing. Now it goes on, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word, has, uh, his word is not in us. In another version, it says it has no place in us. So what does God want to do in our life? What is God after? The work of Christ is, again, can trump our life. It can bring in amazing change. It can, it can bring our life around. It can bring the, the prow of our boat back around and get us right back into the wind where we need to go. But, again, it, sometimes I think we just overthink it. We think that if we keep working harder, if we keep reading more books, if we keep studying harder, and sometimes I see people doing that, and, 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 and you know they study on all the different things that, that other Christian writers have, have written when it really just comes back to what are you doing with the deliverer that God has provided? <laughs> okay, can we just get back to him? Because he is the solution. If we just surrender to him, if we accept the deliverer that God has provided. And if we do, what does the Bible tell us? He will defeat our enemies. 
he is going to defeat our enemies, just like the Israelites. We've done something, we've wandered away from God, and the enemies of our soul begin to creep in. Some of those are internal, some of those are external. I mean, in the form of real people. We've all been there before. But God raises up a, a king, a boss, or some, some, man, they're always in my stuff. Why are they always in my stuff? I had that happen one time. A guy would walk down. He'd literally come to me on the belt there at UPS. Every morning he'd come down and say, hey, look, I heard him talking up there. They're going to fire you tomorrow. Goading me, goading me, pushing me. Of course, he was an ex-military guy, and for some reason he thought that UPS stood for United States Marine Corps. I don't know. But God used it. And when I began to complain about him, God said, can we not complain about him anymore? Let's talk about you. And that's when the change began, is when I began to realize, hmm, maybe there's something, God, you are after in me. Because it doesn't always correlate. I was like, God, I've never done anything to him. He said, look, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the circumstances in your life that have created the spiritual condition where the enemies of your soul are now beginning to creep in. That's what you need to take notice of. And then go to the Lord and say, Lord, you're after something, aren't you? And he goes, yup, I sure am. But I love the fact that he is now going to come in. Once we get that, and he's going to defeat our enemies. Man, have I seen that. I love seeing it. I was just talking with a brother this morning about a God, when we get our heart right, and we say, okay, God, what are you after? That God goes before us. It's to clear the path for us. God took that guy that came down and did that, moved him to another. I was asking God to kill him, but God didn't hear that prayer. I said, Lord, if you want to, you know, if it's possible, you know, to take him off the earth, you know, go ahead. But God said, no, 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 he's, he's my person. I love him just as much as I love you. And God just, actually God promoted him. In that it, it promoted him right out of my life. And I learned something about that. I sure did. He's going to defeat our enemies. And however that defeat is, he's going to remove them. And that's ultimately what Israel had was they were, they were removed off their land. So that they enjoyed peace for 40 years. What else will he do? He's going to forgive our sins. You know, that's the easiest part of being a Christian. One we should never take lightly or take for granted. But it has, when Jesus said it is finished, he will forgive. He will wash the shame and the guilt away. And see, that's really what we're talking about when it comes to sin. Is what is going on inside us internally. Shame and guilt. And you know what? Shame and guilt are funny things because really... We don't do this, but you really could just write shame and guilt and put it in a sandwich sign and walk around with them. As much as that would be a crazy thing to do and how much that would attract people and people going, I mean, walk through a mall or, you know what I mean, go around some campus and walk around with it on. I mean, you'd be the talk of the place, wouldn't you? Man, look at that weirdo. Shame and guilt, shame and guilt. But you know what? You don't have to wear those signs for people to know. And a lot of times, they just don't know what it is. Hmm, gosh, there's something affecting you. What is it? Is it shame or is it guilt? That's a little secret, by the way. Now, what do you do with those secrets? Is You don't walk around and say, man, you got guilt on you. You nasty old sinner. 
No, you need in love to say, look, I see and recognize that look in your eye. You are struggling, aren't you? You are battling. Come here, can we pray? Let me take those, can I help you take those signs off of you? And, and really to just say, look, are, it, man, look, if you're wearing those signs on the inside, even for one second, can I just remind you about 1 John 1, 8, 9? Look, just give in. Confess, he's faithful and just to forgive and to wash you. He will wash it away. He'll restore our identity. He'll give us back our land. What is our land as Christian? Well, we got no land. You know, and if you think the United States is our land, I mean, that's, that's a little strange because that's not really biblical. The land is the security that we have in our, our relationship with God. That's your land. That's your Canaan land. And God will restore that because the enemy can't take it. Mm-mm. I can preach that one. He will restore your position, righteousness. And what does that mean? Right standing. You know, there's something about, and, and he'll restore your soul. And I'll, I'll just pull these two together for the sake of time. But peace, joy, and confidence. Imagine, I mean, one day, and we're going to see this later when we talk about Gideon, but imagine the people, how they have to walk around day in and day out knowing that their land is being ravaged. That for eight years there, they have no confidence. They're doubting what happened in their lives. They're doubting what, what, what all that was about for them to get to Canaan land. And they're just walking around saying, hey, man, why are we here? What's going on? I mean, this king is coming, and he's, he's stealing our crops. He's beating our kids. He's stealing our daughters. What is this all about? Complete confusion. But man, when God comes in and brings his deliverance, after a result of them crying out to God, God comes in and he sweeps that away. And what comes flooding back in is peace, joy, confidence. That's what right standing will do when we know on the inside, man, we've made it right, that we walk with that, that lightness of step. We can go boldly before his throne of grace and ask for help in our time of need. How many times have we done that or not done that? Yeah, that scared me a little bit. That's okay. <laughs> it's like, boom. That was a good point, Lord. I... Anyway. <laughs> I think we'll work on that slider back there. There we go. Anyway. Hallelujah. God wants peace and joy and confidence, does he not? It says that the Israelites enjoyed peace for 120 years. 120 years. That's three generations and half of the whole work that takes place, uh, nearly half of what takes place in the whole book of Judges. I think we're supposed to catch that. Let's restore the unity that we can have with Christ and with our God. Let's let his strength come into our life and lift us. And let's restore the sword. Let's God, let God do battle on our behalf. Amen? All we have to do is make it right, and God will deliver. So let's stand up this morning. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you have a message for us today. So, Lord, I... I don't know 
Lord, with knowledge where your people are. But God, I can, I can know that we as people, Lord, in my own experience, have walked with you as many years as I have, that Lord, I know that it's easy for us to drift away. Lord, it's easy for us, Lord, to fall into that habit pattern of, Lord, letting things go. Lord, not taking and taking care of our souls, Lord, and wandering away, Lord, to those things that begin to trump our life. God, that we magnify other things. We get our priorities, Lord, a little out of whack. So, Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, we recognize the message. God, you want us to be restored, united with you and with one another. Lord, we, you want us to experience your great strength. And, Lord, you want to restore that sword so that, Lord, we can wield it. Lord, we can swing it, God, with authority. So, Lord, we thank you today. Lord, bless us. Keep us. Lord, make your, shine, your face shine upon us. Restore in us, God, the confidence that comes in walking with God. In Jesus' name, amen.